Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod. This is episode 180. Today is June 18th, 2015. 180 episodes. And P.S. Remember four weeks ago when I said, no, really, I'm going to keep doing this every week. We're getting back on track with this podcast. Well, look where we are. So, yeah. Today's guest is Scott Teplin. He's a visual artist, painter, drawinger, Kickstarter. Uh, he's just had a wildly successful Kickstarter, and uh, some of our conversation about that is fantastic. One of the things I love about this conversation that he and I had uh, was that in the beginning, you can kind of hear both of us hesitating, like, are we going to be able to have a conversation about creating stuff? And we did, and it became really great. So, um, yeah, magical. Before we get there to the magic, I have an interview. Nope. Not an interview. I have a song from um, my pal, Walker Lukens. You've heard him on the show before. And uh, I did a remix for him. I can't remember if I put it on the uh, podcast. You can check him out, walkerlukens.com. And also, if you're in New York City, he is in residence at um, Bowery Electric all month, Thursday nights, free. And he's touring. I just discovered moments ago, he's kind of touring in between that up here uh, in the New York-y type area, D.C. and Philly. So check out his website for information about that. Uh, this track is called Every Night. It's not released on an album yet, but you can look at the video on <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me funny the way I said that. You can look at the video. Don't watch it. Look at it. After Walker Lukens, we'll have some Scott Teplin chat. <laughs>
Joining me on the podcast today is Scott Teplin, who is uh, not just my neighbor in the neighborhood of Windsor Terrace slash Kensington, but also uh, a visual artist who has work shown all over New York City and all over the country and the world. Am I, am I stretching too far? Have you shown outside of the, the country as well? I definitely, yes. Uh, he's, he has work in the permanent connections of uh, collections of MoMA, um, oh my gosh, I'm looking at his resume right now and there's so much stuff. I don't even know what to mention. So I'll actually put a link to his website, of course, which is teplin.com um, on mikeypod.com. And let's go ahead and start talking. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for asking me. Uh, we were talking a little bit before about the fact that um, you're the first visual artist I've talked to on the podcast. And then the fact that you actually haven't really been able to find a podcast uh, with that talks with visual artists. It's it just because everyone, like I feel kind of dumb <laughs> when I talk to visual artists. I think because it's not my world, but I wonder if that's like a widespread thing. What Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a good question. When I go to um, a museum or a gallery, I sometimes feel dumb too because it's like shrouded in so much sort of secrecy. Um, I think they kind of do that on purpose. Maybe it's like a market value thing, or I think they also don't want, like galleries and stuff, don't want people to know that sometimes that um, there isn't a lot of meaning behind a lot of things. It's just, it sort of is what it is. Yeah. I'm not sure. That's, do you think it's that, oh, is it a cliched quote, the thing about uh, writing about music? It's, I think it's writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Is it... Because that's one of the things I feel about the things I appreciate about visual art. I don't know that I could always put into words because like what you said, it just is, it exists as it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's important to, uh, to, to, um, as an art maker to know the history of what was made before so that you don't just end up repeating things and you can come up with something new and interesting, um, to yourself and to other people. But um, I, I I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but that's I guess that's it. I, I, yeah, I I I I guess I I just look at it like I know what I like, and I and I um, I'll make what I like to see, and what I'm curious to see what will happen after I make it, and then what it makes me think about. Well, I, it's interesting. Like, I feel like it's a lot like how I look at music. It like a lot of the reasons I make music is because I don't have the exact words to say the things that I want to say. And I wonder if that's kind of what we're running into about visual art too. Yeah, I mean, well, I, 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 well, I it, it's, it, I get really excited about it. Like, it makes me, it keeps me interested, basically. And I, and I'll keep making things that keep me interested. If I get, I do a lot of different sort of bodies of work because I get really bored with something and then I'll go back to it again. But, um, if it's not, if it, if it's not simulating either looking at it or, um, making it, then I won't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, it's, it, I, I, I dislike it. So I, I want to, I want to do it. Like when I, sometimes, um, I imagine this happens, um, to you as a musician, when you hear something like, really great it can sometimes really excite you to go and make something make your own thing that's really great you know like if i go to a gallery or a museum and i get really excited about something it makes me want to go back to the studio and you know make my own thing that makes me really excited or 
even alternatively, if you see something um, in a gallery that's horrible, and like I'll go to galleries sometimes, and I just get so disappointed, and um, I don't like anything that I see, and it just bums me out. It makes me sometimes more excited to come back to the studio to actually make something that I think is really good. Yeah. Do you do that with music? Yeah, I do. And I think a couple of things happen. I get excited about something I love. And like you said, run into, I run into something that, um, I don't love (laughs) and, and it makes, and, and I realize something that I don't love that is being appreciated by other people. And I get this sort of, you know, it, it, in some ways it's a way that I get out of my old, my own, uh, sort of inner critics and I can think, well, I can do at least something that bad. And, and, right. and other people are like this, like this, so I can do a thing too. Like some, sometimes seeing work that I don't appreciate as much, uh, inspires me to, yeah. Do yeah. That. And go, going with that, you know what else is, I think <clears throat> I occasionally like probably maybe once a year, I'll do an illustration for, for some publication. <clears throat> um, excuse me. But, um, and I hate it because I hate doing what an art director wants me to do, you know, kind of work for hire. Um, cause I just, I'm, I just want to get back to my own work and my own and get inside my own head again. But, um, ultimately what almost always happens is I get forced out of my comfort zone and I'm forced to make something that I wouldn't normally make. And I always learn from that. And I always somehow be it that week or a year later, I'll bring what I learned from that process back to the studio and you know what I'm able to apply that to my own work again that do you do that yeah like it's interesting and I'm glad you're saying that right now (laughs) because I have like it just hit me I have a couple of things that I'm working on that aren't just like that I'm, I'm doing for other people so I have to take them into consideration one is for a short film and um and I and it just dawned on me to say I've sort of been avoiding doing it. And I think it's for those reasons of like, uh-huh. I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. But like you said, it, it always like, even if it doesn't feel like perfectly in tune with sort of what my vision might be, because I have to take someone else's vision into consideration. It's always, it's, it's a, it's a, a growth experience to, uh, to do that. Right. It, it can force you to, it can force you to, either develop or learn new tools that you can keep in your toolbox and use later when you, when you want to make something and you realize, Oh, I have this tool now because of that job that I didn't have before. And yeah. you can use that. It's like, it's all about, I, I I'm thinking this new body of work, I've been thinking a lot about rules and you like, when I start a drawing, I pick very specific rules to follow and, um, and I make it according to those rules. And then the fun part is deciding when and how far to break each of those rules and when not to break them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, when, when you're working for hire, you have specific rules you have to follow. And then, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I've been um, thinking a lot about rules lately, and that kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I like. I'm looking right now at um, Big Hospital, which we should totally talk about today. Which is um, a recent drawing of yours that you did a Kickstarter for and brought in tons of money. I'm super excited about that. <laughs> you might be super excited as well. Um, but your work looks very, in some ways. Uh, see, these are the moments that I'm like, is that a bad word to say about someone's work? They it can seem 
chaotic, like looking at the whole picture of, of like this big hospital, especially because I'm looking at really small right now. But also when I think about it and you're, what you're saying about rules, um, I can see where like there's a lot of order happening here too, yeah? Right, yeah. When I first started these like complex room drawings, um, there weren't any rules. I literally didn't use rulers, but, um, but I actually do use them more now <clears throat> than I used to. Um, yeah, there are very, very specific rules. First of all, it's, it's all done isometrically, um, which means it's not like um, a realistic perspective. It's more of a diagrammatical perspective mm-hmm. so that all of the lines you can follow are somewhat parallel in three different directions. But like the, on the very bottom of the composition, that line will be parallel with the same, a similar line at the very top of the composition. Okay. And I do that... And I do that because these are all, none of this is real. This is all just sort of what's um, sort of in my head, and it's more of a thought. It's not, um, I'm not really telling a story. I'm just kind of um, pulling it out of my brain. I'm not, I'm not a narrative artist. Okay. I don't have a timeline. Yeah, so that's one of the rules. Another ro- rule for this one is it's all hospital stuff, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I could have put... Others, I mean, I put some other silly, weird things in there because these take so long, I get so bored that I just end up putting, like, ridiculous things in there, too, just to entertain myself. But for the most part, it's all um, hospital-oriented. Um, this, uh, this is, I think, a, a sort of newbie visual artist question. Uh, now I totally forgot my question in making my excuse about it. <laughs> uh, like, oh, shit, but that's I, a I, good question, too. I, while you think about it, I can explain to you why I did a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, I do. Maybe. Okay, so uh, I, I've been working jobs for the last 20-plus years after I graduated college, and I just wanted to be an artist. But since I had student loans, I had to get a job right away, and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just kind of – I'm too scared to not have health insurance. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, – but I but, – and I have a family and I have a mortgage and all this stuff. So, um, I now to the point where I just, I, I want to try using this sort of new internet type economy to try and raise funds so that I can just quit my job, which I did in, well, I didn't quit. They so much kind of left. They kind of uh, let my contract expire and didn't renew it. So it's not firing. It's not quitting. It's kind of like, Eh, we're done with you. Goodbye. And I'm happy to say goodbye to them too. Um, but um, I haven't looked for an, another one um, that aggressively because I'm kind of trying to do this for a while now. Um, and that is um, raise funds through. Okay, so I wanted to um, make a print and sell the print instead of just relying on a gallery to sell artwork, because that's kind of a hard to do, and I don't sell that much work to make a living. And so um, Kickstarter, I, this is my second campaign. My first campaign was for one called Big Canal. And I do, like I said, I do different types of work, and this, this um, uh, body of work is very, I know that it's very crowd-pleasy, and mm-hmm. it's easy to grab onto, and it's easy for kids to like, and it's, it's some of my least um, sexually offensive work, and um, or I, I try not to have any 
sex stuff in these. But, um, um, and so I, I wanted to, you know, pay for, um, printing a ton of these like really nice poster prints and I didn't want to pay for it. So I tried doing a crowdsource Kickstarter and it worked really well the first time. So, um, I'm, I get another one for another drawing. The problem is these drawings take five months to make. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I can't do that many. You also, well, we can get more into what I've learned uh, along the way later, but that's, that's the gist of why I'm doing, I did a Kickstarter at all, just to kind of fund the printing of, um, these really high quality posters so that I can sell and, um, make some of my living doing that. Yeah, it's uh, that I, that is the big thing that I I think we had a coffee shop conversation recently. Uh, yeah, a couple of months ago when I ran into you and and I w- hadn't restarted my podcast yet, but that day I was like, oh, I need to talk about this on the podcast because I have like a similar uh, approach to having done a kid started to fund an album, and it was the same thing that I was like, ugh, like if I spend the money. In, uh, up front to go to the recording studio and print CDs and you know do all the things I want to do. I, I, what if I don't sell any of them? Like it was a little like right. Um, and doing it the takes some of the risk out. Yeah, and it and it and it's a little easier in my experience to push a Kickstarter than to push a finished product. Like if I can't post, like I was able to post like multiple times a day, especially toward the end, like, oh my God, you guys, if we don't, if I don't raise no X number of dollars, this whole thing is going to be shot. But I wouldn't be like, if I was just trying to sell my CD in that same way, people would not go for it. I feel like it would right, be, right. I mean, I'm sure people were annoyed with my Kickstarter posting, but if it wasn't a Kickstarter and I was just like, hey, come on, you guys buy this, it would be. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Right. It's not just to raise money for that. It's also to actually sell what you're trying to raise money for. It's like, yeah. it's an amazing, it's like, it's its own economy and it, it, it advertises for you and um, it's kind of great. And from what I understand, the people at Kickstarter are relatively idealistic. Um, they don't, they could have asked for a lot more money from um, the campaigns, but they don't really. Did you use Kickstarter or Indiegogo? or? Uh, I used Kickstarter. Yeah. What did yeah. you think about that? Um, I really loved the whole experience. Like it was, I was hesitant to do it um, at first until I started thinking of it as just a way to pre-sell the album. You know, like it right. felt like it, it, I learned so much just about what a Kickstarter is about. And I forget this stuff. Like when I was looking at yours and you're, you brought in, well, people pledged $26,417, right? And I looked at that and I was like, wow, he brought in a lot of money. And it's like, oh, yeah, like you have to pay still. Like out of that money comes paying for it and shipping and all that. Yeah, shipping is outrageous because I think a quarter of people who ordered are international. And that's like each one of those is like $15, $16. No, more than that. It's like $15 in shipping fees and then um, in and then um, materials just to like the tube and the bubble wrap and the, that's like another three and a half dollars. So it, it's kind of, a, yeah, it's, it's, when, that's the thing about Kickstarter too. It's like, it's a little bit like I worked in an auction gallery for a while at Sotheby's mm-hmm. and they want you to know certain numbers and they don't want you to know other numbers. Like when they sell a record breaking Picasso for $140 million or whatever, um, that's not, 
what the hammer went down at. The hammer went down at like a um, hundred and well, it's still huge, but like 115 million. And there's tons and tons of fees they pack onto that, so that when they're competing with Christie's, their number can be super inflated, and they can sound bigger and bigger and bigger, right? So the shareholders yeah. and whatever. And it's similar in Kickstarter where people say, "Oh, you just made your Kickstarter went on for 30 days and you made twenty-six thousand dollars," but that's not like first of all, ten percent of that goes to five percent goes to Kickstarter. Around 5% goes to who handles the economic or the credit card transactions, which used to be Amazon is now is um, uh, Stripe, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. And, yeah, it changed. And so there's that. And then there's all the supplies and all the shipping and tons of, I mean, a ton of labor goes into this, this campaign before. Like I made three super, for me anyway, elaborate videos um, sort of four elaborate videos. I had a composer help me with some of the music, and yeah, I mean, it's not what it seems. It's not. I don't. I don't have twenty six thousand dollars in my pocket by any means at all. You know, you have to. It's like a regular business, and it's. It's yeah. So yeah. That's, that's definitely something I learned from the first time around. Yeah, it's really. Uh, it's interesting, and it's it, the thing that's. I don't think people notice that or uh, take that in consideration. And it's and especially because I forgot, like in a year, I saw yours and I was like, whoa, that's a lot of money. He's going to be able to, you know. And then it took me a second to remind myself, like, no, that's not like, because once mine was done and my whole project was done, by the time it came time to ship everything out, I was already way over my budget. Like, I still spent money yeah. on my project. Right. It's, right. But, uh, but still, like, the thing that I think is really great is that it's this whole economy of its own. And we have, you know, like a lot of musicians complain about not being able to sell music, but you know, like, because people will download or just listen on Spotify or whatever. But I don't like, I feel I wasn't making music and trying to make money off of it before the internet. So it's hard for me to compare but I don't feel like I would have been able to reach nearly as many people as I can reach now. Right. That's exactly it. That's, that's the other thing. That's the other point I was going to make is it's not just the money that you get. It's the audience that you um, kind of gather together. It's like you have, now I have people who, like, like as, as artists, we're competing for so much attention. There's so many artists. There's so many musicians. And in order for people to hear you or see your work, this is a great tool to get in front of their faces. And then you could possibly get new fans and new patrons, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, now, after the first campaign, um, so many of those people just instantly pledged to this, my new campaign, um, which was awesome, you know? And like, it's like a community, kind of. That's how Kickstarter treats it. And if you're smart after your campaign, you keep that going. You know, you update them and you tell them about whatever, you know, stuff that you have going on. Because yeah. um, that's like, it's like um, now that you, your campaign is over, don't drop the ball. Keep going. You know, like be a smart business person. Don't just go back into your art making hole and, and <laughs> ignore everything else. You have to, if you want to keep it going, you've got to be on top of that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm trying to remind, like it's, I, I say that because it's hard for me to do that. I'm a crappy business person, but like now that I'm like, the, like I've sort of lit a fire under my ass that I'm not, since I'm not working a corporate job right now, 
I want to keep doing this. So I want to keep finding ways to do that. And the other thing um, that I've, you have to keep in mind, especially on your second Kickstarter, is to learn how not to bug the shit out of your friends and everybody else all the time. Like, one thing that I, I, I learned from, I worked at Yahoo News for a mm-hmm. year and a half, and, you know, they, they, they're, they're a relatively smart Internet company. I mean, I'm not, I, I haven't looked at the site since I quit the jobs. So I'm not like a fan of Yahoo, but they, one, like I was, a, I was a photo editor for news. And one thing I learned from them is how to sort of generate sort of bullshit content, um, but keep people interested in looking at the site. And so when you do a Kickstarter, you've got a lot of time to try to, you know, get in front of people's faces all the time, but I don't want to advertise. I don't want to be an annoying jerk all the, you know, like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so what I learned from Yahoo was to, like, we used to do these, like, we used to look at a calendar ahead of time and think, like, okay, this is going to be the anniversary of this major world event, so let's get a slideshow together a couple weeks in advance, and then we can post a slideshow and get tons of hits. Like, that's, that's, that's kind of a lot of what that job was. Yeah, and so I, I thought I like I'm I, I like funny stuff, and I like and I and I know I have to do this, so I'll try to be funny and use my I like my campaign was called Big Hospital, so I I looked ahead at like um, funny ish or world events. Like my whole theme of Big Hospital was so this is a giant map of a hospital, and when you get hurt or injured you always have this map and you'll know where to go and where you need to be in any hospital in the world, which is ridiculous, of course. I hope people realize that um, (laughs) who are watching the videos. But so I use it as a theme for like dangerous moments in history. And so I just like kind of looked at it, you know, like there's all these websites that show events in history from um, like this Pope killed this Pope from 1483 and, you know, like funny stuff like that. And then, make a picture with my big hospital logo on it and just have that as my social media post for the day. Do you know what I mean? So instead of saying, Hey, fund me, fund me, please. Um, they can at least be somewhat entertained and maybe even learn something along the way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yes, I, I love, that was one of the things that really jumped out at me even before, like right when, I, I maybe I got I, through your mailing list or something. I saw the um, Kickstarter show up, and I loved the way you did the videos. There's a certain amount of like uh, self awareness that you have that like I, I, you could almost tell like there's a sense of like I know this is potentially irritating that you're going to be getting these updates for me, but isn't it funny? Like you know, like I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm putting that into words the way that. No, no, I don't. I totally know what you're talking about. It's a yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree, and I'm very aware that I hate advertising and asking you guys for stuff. Um, and so I'm going to make this entertaining if I can, and I want you to know that I'm in on it. I'm not. I, I like. I know how stupid this is, and like, there's a point in the in the first video for the main video for my Kickstarter, right. It's so it's so embarrassing to me that I did this. Um, I like turn to the camera and then it stops and it says <laughs> he's back, like for another Kickstarter. And I know how stupid that is, but first I, I felt like um, 
I almost took it out, but for for that reason, I decided to keep it in. Like if it's if it, uh, do you know what I mean? Like I, it's yeah. so ridiculous that I, I just I can't I can't, I can't watch that. I can't I, I fast forward <laughs> if I if I show it to someone or I'll turn away. But that's when I know that maybe I should keep it because it's like that ridiculous. Yeah, but it's like it's it's ridiculous in uh it it, it reads perfectly. You know what I mean? Like it it. Thank you. Yeah, it, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. It's ridiculous, and you, it's apparent that you know that it's ridiculous, and you're doing it in right. Yeah, know, like it's if it were a cheesy thing, you know, like I don't know. Yeah, it it worked for me. That's the thank you. Yeah, me. I I, I just hope that that like you 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 know me more or less. I mean, you see me around. We've known each other for a while. I just hope that. Um, some people don't think like, who does this asshole think he is by saying he's back? <laughs> like, am I supposed to know who this guy is? Like, I hope they get that. I mean, who knows? Whatever. I mean, I did, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 And clearly, like, how many people? 487 people got it. Those are the... Yeah, that's true. Characters. Yeah. That's true. Um, another, another, another point, people ask me about, like, how to... Um, I get asked sometimes, because they see that I've done a Kickstarter, like, what like give me some pointers or whatever. One super, super major thing that people don't, especially I guess in the arts is nobody, like, first of all, it's got to look awesome. So you've mm-hmm. got to have splashy visuals because you're competing with not only other stuff on the web, but other Kickstarters that look really good. Right. Yeah. Like it's funny. If you look at, you know how Apple computer commercials, they always have like, they have like a look and a feel to them. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so many Kickstarters that have some money, like maybe out of Silicon Valley, all kind of look like that. There's a tinkly little like a banjo playing with a girl's, like a beautiful high girl's voice singing something that's sort of ironic, but sort of sweet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they all kind of repeat, they all kind of do the same thing. So you've got to kind of stand out by, that's mostly the tech stuff, but um what was this thing? Oh yeah. So the biggest thing in when you're running your campaign is people aren't going to like pledge to your campaign unless they get something. It doesn't matter how idealistic they think they are, or you think they are, or they're supposed to be because you're doing your art. You're an artist and you have no money and you're trying to make art. And without them, you can't, no one gives a crap about that. Honestly, um, no one's going to, people want something in return. So you have to make sure you have like, rewards like you have to be somewhat savvy about a little bit of marketing stuff you have to give them rewards they're going to want and i'm not saying go to you know walmart and get like five hundred thousand cupcakes and then like it has to have something to do with your campaign right because i think right. Kickstarter will, won't even won't even allow you to to give them stuff unless you made it yourself or whatever but you, i mean just be aware of that like don't don't expect people just to give money out of the kind not the way the world works, you know? You yeah. have to give them something in return. Yeah. So just be aware of that. Yes. <laughs> I love... It was interesting. Did you find... Like, one of the things I found, my friend Demetrius Bagley, who I have a couple questions from for you, who, who helped me immensely with my Kickstarter, um, he... Uh, he... I... He... I undervalued a lot of my rewards. I, did, do you feel like you had a tendency to do that? Like, he looked at it and he was like, well... I mean, if you were just like people know they're going to be paying a little more than they would normally pay for a CD or, you know, because they know it's a fundraiser. But 
Did did you find yourself doing it? Did you feel pretty? I did. I did some very like my, the second campaign. I was pretty good because I learned a lot. The first campaign, I kind of did, and it was mostly just being a stupid business person and not looking at all the details of the ship of what shipping is gonna be. And I did not make that mistake my second time around because I learned the first time. But shipping was a major thing, and the problem with Kickstarter is once someone um, pledges for one reward, you not that during the campaign. The only thing you uh, that very then also that and start a new one, and my first campaign was an effing mess because I kept screwing things up and I had to close them. And then people messaged me on this board, and I'm like, yeah, you have to keep answering these questions. So I, you are starting to cut out a little bit. I missed part of what you just said. Sorry. Are you still? Can you oh, still I'm sorry. That's okay. Yes. Ah, oh, crap. I may have to cut out part of that because uh, it sort of cut out. Oh, that's okay. I'm just going on and on about, about no, I love um, being smart, being smart right. about not um, about doing research and not. Did, did you get the thing where I, where I said about Kickstarter not allowing you to edit a reward once someone has already pledged? Oh no, I didn't hear that. Right, and so my my first campaign was a total mess because. I um, I kept having to fix shipping options, and then it turned like you know how your reward might your your campaign might have ten rewards. I had like thirty five, forty different rewards because I had to keep closing them out and starting new ones to fix stupid things, so I wouldn't lose a ton of money. Uh. And like one thing, one thing that another thing that I've learned is that don't be shy about offering a shit ton of rewards. Like if you look at um, the McSweeney's, you know McSweeney's, the publisher out of San Francisco? Yeah. So they're, they're non-profit now, like uh, relatively recently. And either their campaign, I think their campaign just ended a couple days ago, um, but they had so many rewards on there. And they, and they I mean, they're McSweeney's, but they came away with, I think, $350,000, asking for $250,000. And I think wow. part of it was because they just like, they didn't skimp on offering tons and tons and tons of like cool, weird stuff. Like it's okay to, and you can add more during, I did that a lot too. Um, you can add more stuff during your campaign. Like don't underestimate what people will buy. Like if you have original stuff, like I, I put a few original drawings up, which are, I mean, I couldn't afford, but um, a lot of people collect art and they like my work. And some people actually, you know, paid, Three thousand dollars for a drawing, wow! On the you know on the Kickstarter, which was cool because um, then I don't have to deal with going through all the other crap you have to deal with. Like this, one of these guys was in Borneo, which is either part of or right near Malaysia, and so it's kind of nice to have Kickstarter deal with the financial stuff for that, and then I just have to ship it out to them. Oh yeah, oh that's cool. Yeah, Kickstarter. Let me throw some of Demetrius's questions at you. One of them was... Okay. Oh, crap, where did it go? Uh, hold on, sorry. Uh, oh, what do you think the biggest misconception about running a campaign is? Uh, I think, well, I mean, people, if you look, if you look that up online, it's always the same answer. Is, um, you, people don't realize, like if, if it's a physical object, how much shipping 
it's shipping. It's always shipping. How much the logistics of shipping, you have to figure that shit out way before you you press go on your campaign. Um, but if it's not for a physical object, I think just it's so easy to, to do a campaign and press go. I think you have to just like force your, like what my advice would be to get your campaign ready and then force yourself to wait a full week before you launch it and just mm-hmm. keep going in on it when you're fresh in the morning and fix stuff and look at stuff. And before you go to bed and just take notes and just keep, keep, um, moving little things around and making sure everything works right before you launch it because it's, it's, it's it sucks to do that once it's already going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, was, yeah, yeah. when, uh, by Demetrius and this other friend of mine, Luke Curtis were helping me with this and I kept being like, okay, it's done. It's ready to go. And I'd send it to them and they'd be like, okay, so here's what's next. And they kept like, and it was great that I had them to do that. Cause I would have like posted right. a total shit show. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how my first one was kind of a kind of a disaster. I mean, I, it was like <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> because there's so much. They're like, because like you realize something is going wrong, and you're under this pressure because people are looking at it, and people are like about to pledge and don't because something you screwed something up or something is unclear, and so you you're like you should be having dinner with your family, but you just realize this and you have to like, and everyone, my family's irritated because I'm always on the computer fixing stuff. It was totally different this time around because I thought about it ahead of time and I made sure that it was right instead of, I also didn't know what I was doing the first time. So it's sort of excusable, but um, I would say, give yourself that really important week of constant tweaking before, before yeah. you launch. I think that would help a lot. Uh, I went through a thing, and another friend of mine warned me that she did it too when she did a Kickstarter, uh, especially because it's like an art thing. Um, did you? Uh, I'll, well, I'll, tell, I'll give you my experience. I had a hard time separating my um, my work from with people's willingness to support my Kickstarter. Like there was, a, there were a lot of times that I went through. Like I wouldn't get a lot of pledges one day, and I'd be like, ah. Why am I even doing this? People don't care about this. Why am I investing my oh. into this? Do you go, did you go through that too? Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. I don't know what else to say, but yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, you're like, why, like, why, why did I? Yeah, and you don't, and you're always trying to figure out what to do to try and fix that if it can be fixed, and like yeah. what you, how you screwed something up, and I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it, a lot of this stuff is like what's blowing in the wind that month or that week. Like, like if you launch your campaign where there's a major news story going on, like there's some horrible, horrible thing somewhere in the world where it's just got the whole world's attention, you, you look like such an asshole asking for money <laughs> to make your little poster. And you're like, you don't want to bug people about it. And it's just like, that's just the way it goes sometimes. You have to try to, I mean, you can, if you, you can't really avoid that in certain news things, but like, like you, you don't, I don't want to mention any specific horrible news stories because <laughs> it sounds I, I don't know, but something did happen during my, the beginning of my campaign. I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot. And it was a little bit like not hospital related, but like, I can't talk about dangerous moments in history when this horrible thing is happening. Cause I sound like, I don't know what's going on in the world and I sound callous and yeah. Yeah. That stuff is tough. It's tricky. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. 
Uh, one last question. How did you feel right after your campaign ended? The first campaign, I felt, well, they're two, two totally different things. The first campaign, I felt like I own the world. Like, I cracked the system. I figured it out. I never have to get a job again as long as I live. <laughs> and, then I, and then I realized, you know, all the stuff that's involved, and it's not as much money as I thought. The second time uh, my campaign ended, which was just like last week, I was like, eh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy about it. I just have to get to work now. It wasn't as big a deal. It yeah. made, I, my second campaign did half as well as my first one. Um, and I attribute that to a ton of different things. One of which is the people who bought the first one still have the tube sitting next to their computer that my first print was in. So they're like, why would I want another tube sitting next to my computer? I think another thing was um, I did it, I timed it so that it was right before, like, two, it ended at two weeks before Christmas. So, you know, people needed Christmas gifts. And this one obviously is not that perfect timing. Yeah. So I was happy. I'm happy with it. Um, I, I think that there's a lot more to figure out um, as far as tailoring my work to this kind of um, economy. And so I'm looking forward to that, I guess. It sounds like the big takeaway, though. Well, one of the big takeaways, I guess, that I'm getting from talking to you, and I sort of was sort of formulating that feeling my, myself, is that there is a new economy, you know, that, that in, all in all, like as frustrating as it was for me and, and the things I learned and the way, even though I wound up, my project still wound up costing me a lot of money. Um, I have a way of getting my work to people like that. That is quite right. great. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I'm super happy about it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to um, trying some new stuff in the future. Some ideas I've got brewing in my brain. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, too bad we didn't do this while the Kickstarter was happening, so I could tell people. And now go to Scott's Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Campaign. But I do have the prints available on Taplin.com, so if anybody's interested to see what they look like, they can go there. Um, yeah, awesome. Um, we should wrap this up. I love the fact that um, it, the, when we started out, I don't know if you were having this feeling. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to have anything to talk about. Um, but oh, now, yeah. we've been going for like 45 minutes. And uh, we had plenty to talk about, so it worked great. Well, thank, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for taking the time. And the website is teplin.com. Um, and that's it. Thanks a lot, Scott. Okay, thanks. I'll see you soon.
from their brand new album, Citizens. That was The Wheel Workers with Burglar. Uh, great guys from Houston. One of those things about Houston that I'm sort of sad. Oh, God. Were they even a band yet? I don't know. I'll have to ask. Um, yeah, my pal Craig is in that band. You know, I have lots of pals. 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 Oh, God. You know when you start saying a word more times and you realize it's not... It just sounds hard, like you're saying it wrong, more and more wrong. Like, and then you start trying to explain it, and it's just getting worse. Check out that album, <laughs> Wheel Workers. All of these uh, artists and musicians you've heard today, you can find links to them at MikeyPod.com. If you'd like to know more about me, the artist that is Michael Heron, you can go to MichaelHeron.com. A link to that will also be at MikeyPod.com. There's lots of links. I hope you're writing this down. If you forget, just go to MikeyPod.com. You can remember that. Everything will be there. Everything you need. And um, that's great. Let me know what you want to hear on this show. Um, The 10-year anniversary of this podcast starting is coming up July 4th. That's kind of crazy. Granted, there have been big lapses in publishing this podcast, but um, it's pretty cool. See you next week. Oh, my guest will be Raquel Sion. She's great. Yeah. Subscribe in iTunes. I'm just going to keep talking, just rambling off things you should do. But all of it, again, you can find it at MikeyPod.com. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening.